This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, and I did not turn that light on. There we go. Coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Wednesday, the 13th day of December, 2023. We are less than two weeks from Christmas. We are just flying through the year. Gosh, we've got just a few more days in the year, a couple weeks. And it will be 2024 with all of that entails. <laughs> the election and and uh, the politics and everything that's going to be going on in 2024. Part of me is anticipating it. Part of me is going to enjoy it. Part of me is dreading it. Um, just uh, It's just going to be an interesting year. There's a lot of stuff that still has to shake out. Um, you know, I, I predict that uh, President Biden will not run. And uh, I also predict that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. Um, so it's going to be an interesting thing. Uh, who is he going to name as his vice president? Who You know, because it's not going to be Mike Pence uh, <clears throat> running with him. So we have we have interesting times ahead in the... Uh, in the words of the proverbial ancient Chinese curse, which I am led to understand was not a Chinese curse at all. It's just been attributed to them. You can blame a lot of things on the Chinese. Apparently, that's not one of them. All right, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You're sure to find something you will like. And something I don't normally ask you to do, but would, would uh, greatly appreciate it. Wherever you find fine podcasts, if you would uh, give us a, a five-star rating and a review, we'd sure appreciate it. If you have less than five stars to say about this show, why are you even bothering to listen? <laughs> but no, we'd appreciate that. It helps get the word out. Um, this is ad-free podcasting, and uh, hope you enjoy that. All right. What do we got coming up today? We have scripture readings. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy continues. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 21, verses 1 through 9 today. So, not going to do a whole chapter as we did yesterday. All right. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession. From the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. 
Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Our scripture reading today is going to be Genesis 8 and Psalm 8. And so we begin with Genesis 8. Then God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him on the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed. And the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded from the earth, going forth and returning, and at the end of a hundred and fifty days the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. Now the water decreased steadily until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. Then it happened at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent out a raven, and it went out flying back and forth until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the land was abated from the face the water <clears throat> the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of its feet, so it returned to him into the ark for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he stretched out his hand and took it and brought it into the ark to himself. Then he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in its beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but it did not return to him again. Now it happened in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, on the first day of the, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, 
birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and that they may be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast and every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to Yahweh and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offering on the altar. And Yahweh smelled the soothing aroma, and Yahweh said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. While all the days of the earth remain, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And now Psalm chapter 8. I should say Psalm 8. It's not a chapter. It's a psalm. Psalm 8. For the choir director, according to the Geteth, a psalm of David. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! Who displays your splendor above the heavens? From the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is man that you remember him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the animals of the field. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. And now, our study Bible level of study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy. Again, this is chapter twenty-one, verses one through nine. I will read them now, and then we will discuss them. Actually, I need to take a short break, so I will be right back. Please stand by. What I've said for years now is the best thing you can do as a Christian to live well in this world is find a healthy church and build your life around it. I mean, do what you got to do. I, and I, I agree for people. There's no health, no churches in 100 miles of me. And that's uh, sad. Move. Move. Well, but I got busy. What's more important? You, know, you can have your business over here and lose your children. Or you can move and maybe have to work at a 7-Eleven and help build your life around a healthy church for the welfare of your children. And I am back. Sorry, had my nose was running and I had to go catch it. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. If a slain person is found fallen in the open country in the land which Yahweh your God gives you to possess, and it is not known who has struck him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance to the cities which are around the slain one. And it shall be that the city which is nearest to the slain man, that is, the elders of that city, shall take a heifer of the herd, which has not been worked and which has not pulled in a yoke, 
And the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down into a valley with running water, which has not been plowed or sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for Yahweh your God has chosen them to minister to minister for him and to bless in the name of Yahweh. And every dispute and every assault shall be settled by them. And all the elders of that city who are nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it. Atone for your people, Israel, whom you have redeemed, O Yahweh, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people, Israel. And the blood guiltiness shall be atoned for them. So you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the eyes of Yahweh. Okay, interesting passage. Um, talking about the fact that there is, in a sense, a community guilt for death in the midst of the community. And in this case, this is an unknown, um, unsolved homicide. You know, this is cold case files, Israel. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there's no other reference to this anywhere in the Pentateuch about what to do about unsolved murders. Um, and so this is a, you know, this is a case where the, the murderer is not known. And so what should the closest city, which this is, that is an interesting way of how they determine jurisdiction. You know, measure from the nearby cities, and whichever one is closer, that one has jurisdiction over the case. But it's a case they're not able to solve because there were no witnesses. Now, this is long before, you know, forensics. You know, there's, there's, there's hardly a way, really, to prove a murder that somebody didn't see happen apart from modern forensics. And, and modern forensics don't even, you know, often don't prove the murderer as much as they show it is quite probable that this person did it. Um, and I think, you know, they can, you know, the, the standard of, of proof in, a, in the American courts is a, beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, there are unreasonable doubts, <laughs> you know, aliens came down and killed him, <laughs> you know, while they, they, they rendered me unconscious and they killed him with my knife. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's not a reasonable doubt. Um, it is a doubt, <laughs> but it's an unreasonable doubt. But with, you know, modern forensics, we have all sorts of ways of putting a person at the scenes, you know, means, motive, and opportunity. Those are the things you look for when you're investigating a murder. Well, there's a lot of people with motive. Um, you know, if if somebody gets killed, you know, let's there, you can always find somebody who wanted him dead. That doesn't mean that person did it. So you have to have motive, but you also have means and opportunity. You have to have a reason for killing someone. You have to have the way to kill them, and you have to have the opportunity to kill them. 
in order to be considered a viable suspect in a murder. But, you know, without being able to establish, you know, they, they had no fingerprints, they had no, you know, cell phone tracking data, they had no DNA. Um, the only way to, to even approach this would be to interview the people who knew the guy. Um, but this is happening out in the, you know, it, it appears to happen out in the country. Yeah, open country. So you're finding somebody who's far away from the city, who's far away from witnesses. This could be simple highway robbery. You know, there could be no personal motive beyond, I want his stuff. We don't know who the killer is. And without witnesses, there's no way to prove it. And remember the standard, you know, only on the basis of two or three witnesses will a person be put to death. So, you know, this is a case of we don't have a witness. There's no way to prove who did it. But there is the fact that the, the, the nearest city that has the jurisdiction is responsible for dealing with the crime. They have jurisdiction, and they are not able to solve the murder. Therefore, they are not able to bring justice. Now, I'm reading a lot in here because there, there's no thing about, you know, investigation or any of that. But we know from previous, you know, passages that, you know, whenever matters like this took place, they were to investigate thoroughly. They've investigated. They can't close the case. So what do they do? So there, there's, a, there's a sense in which they're not guilty of the blood of the man, but they're guilty of not avenging the blood because they don't know who to avenge it on. Um, and this is the case that, you know, it, it's not of any fault of their own. They're just incapable of doing it, but there's still a debt there. There's still a culpability there. They had a job to do, and they failed to do it. Now, the fact that they couldn't do it is, in a way, immaterial. They're still responsible for failing in their duty. And so, the elders of the city that had jurisdiction over the murder would, in, in, in what was definitely a public ceremony, so they are proclaiming to the town, we've tried and we cannot solve this murder. We don't know who killed the guy on the road. So, or in the countryside, could have been in a field, you know, could be in the forest, we don't know. But he was outside the city, there were no witnesses, we don't know who killed him. And, and so there is a public ceremony in which they admilt, admit, admit, admit their inability to solve the case. And so the elders of that city shall bring a heifer, which has never been worked and has not pulled a yoke, down to a valley that has running water in it. And it has to be a valley which has not been plowed or sown. So this is not a, a valley where farming is taking place. This is a, you know, I, I kind of picture a gully, <laughs> you know, 
or a, or a ravine of some type that wouldn't be suitable for our, for agriculture, but would still be, um, you know, some sort of wadi. Um, but but it has to have running water, so not a dried up uh, desert area, but a place with running water. And they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. I was reading this this morning, and I was thinking, how hard is it to break a cow's neck? How would that be done? You know, we're not wringing the neck of a of a weasel. We're talking about a big animal with a massive neck. Um, how do you how do you break that neck? That would be an endeavor. That's not something you do easily. You know. And and I still wonder how would you do that? You know, I don't think human strength would be sufficient. This would involve, you know, some sort of massive blow delivered by mechanical means. That's all I can think of to break the neck of a heifer. Um, would be very difficult. And, and, and it's not said here how they would do that. But they would break the heifer's neck. Now, this is interesting because this is one of the few instances where an animal was sacrificed. And this is a sacrifice. It's not um, called that in the passage. But it's definitely some sort of atoning sacrifice for the failure to solve the murder. It's not, as again, it's not a sacrifice for the guilt of the murder. It's a sacrifice for the failure to avenge the murder. But this is one of the few sacrifices where the blood is not spilled. You notice breaking the neck does not involve cutting the animal. So this was a bloodless sacrifice. The blood was to remain in the cow. So they break the neck of the of the animal, and then the priests, the sons of Levi, who were chosen by God to minister for him and to bless in the name of Yahweh and to settle every dispute and every assault. So the the ultimate court, you know, is the priests and the high priest. Um, is this was a theocracy, the priesthood had a role in the government. This is not a case of separation of church and state, to use the modern parlance. The The priesthood of God, because this was God's nation, ruled over by God, given God's law, the priests who represented God were integral to the function of the government. or were intended to be. And so they were the ones who, who were to settle every uh, uh, dispute and every assault. So the elders of the town and the priests and probably a crowd of people go down into the valley, they break the neck of the cow, and then 
they wash their hands over the body of the cow whose neck was broken. And they shall answer and say, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it. So they're saying, you know, we didn't kill him, and we don't know who killed him. So it is a, a declaration of innocence. It's a declaration of innocence for the people of the city. And it's a declaration that we are unable to solve this crime. Then they pray to God, atone for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, O Yahweh, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel. So it's a sacrifice and a request that they not be held guilty of this man's blood. They didn't sell, they didn't kill him, they didn't see who killed him, so they are sacrificing to God and asking him not to hold them guilty. And the blood guiltiness shall be atoned for them. So this is an atoning sacrifice. There's no shedding of blood. And, and I think there's no shedding of blood because in this case there is no sin. It's an atoning sacrifice but it doesn't require the forgiveness of sin because, you know, they're guilty of not being able to find the, the killer, but they're not omniscient. <laughs> and, and all of this, of course, you know, it doesn't say so explicitly here, but we know that God knows who killed the man. So if, if the, the city elders or one of them is actually guilty, God knows. But the people weren't. The city wasn't. So, there is an atoning sacrifice. And then it says, So you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the eyes of Yahweh. So this is, this, this is interesting. Um... It shows that um, they would not have, you know, there's no, there's no one for the avenger of blood to seek out because they do not know the guilty party. Now, I'm not saying there aren't suspects. <laughs> there may very well be suspects here. But the guilty party is unknown. And so here is the, you know, there's, there's, there's nobody to take revenge on. This is all done. You know, some interesting things that the MacArthur Study Bible brings out. This was done in a valley. All of the pagan altars were on high places, hilltops. This is done in a valley. That's interesting. Don't know what the, uh, you know, what the significance of that is. MacArthur suggests that this was to avoid association with idolatry. That's possible. So, breaking the neck of the heifer is an indication that this is a crime that deserves punishment. We don't know 
who the guilty party is. We're killing this heifer as a substitute for the murderer. Because crime deserves to be punished, and the punishment for murder is death. And so this is the city declaring that murder is a crime, a murder was committed, it needs to be paid for, we don't have the murderer to kill. And so in his place, we are killing this heifer. It's almost an execution in abstentia. But what it is doing is coming before God and paying the crime, paying for the crime. Um, the hand washing shows that while the 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 pre or the elders of the city accept responsibility, they were nevertheless not the murderers. So, this is this is an interesting passage, and it's kind of worth reflecting on. So we learn here that there is you know there were laws of jurisdiction of who was to investigate a murder and and who would be responsible to investigate a murder failing to establish a guilty party there was still a debt to be settled at least symbolically that you know we've had a murder that murder has to be paid for and it's paid for with the death of this heifer there is the the realization that the final judicial authority in Israel was the priests. And and that's, again, part of the fact that Israel was a theocracy. So, interesting, interesting passage. Um, kind of fascinating in a lot of ways. Like I said, this is the only place in the Law of Moses where what to do in the case of an unsolved murder comes up. But there's something to do in the case of an unsolved murder. So, interesting. We're thinking about something to, to meditate on in the days to come. All right, let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Colic for the second Sunday in Advent. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And the Colic for Grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, you have brought us safely to the beginning of this day. 
Defend us by your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor run into any danger, and that guided by your Spirit we may do what is righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then for the unrepentant we pray, Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Wednesday. I hope you have a great day. We are halfway through the week, rapidly approaching the weekend. I have youth group tonight, Again, a small group. Uh, most of our, we, we've lost a lot of kids to uh, junior high band concert tonight. Um, so we, we're going to have a smaller group. I don't know what we're going to do tonight, um, but we'll, we'll do something. Next week is our uh, youth group Christmas party. So looking forward to that. Um, all sorts of fun games and activities. Uh, I believe we're decorating sugar cookies. I think that's the plan. Don't quote me on that. But if you want to find out, last year we made gingerbread houses. Or two years ago. We actually didn't have a youth group last year. So we're very sad. But two years ago we made gingerbread houses. But it sounds like we're doing cookie decorating this time. So that'll be fun. Um, looking forward to that. But whatever you do today, have a great day. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not to do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you here tomorrow for Theology Thursday. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.